Wow, that was outstanding. Let me say, connection folks, keep the vision of what God is seeking to build and what he wants to do with the people of connection. He wants you to be a part of something very significant. We see that, and that's just outstanding. And you see, you can't stop something like that. We do have that right, just as other groups have that right. And, and God wants to raise up a people that will become very contemporary in their thoughts, very contemporary in their ways, identify with the culture, speak the gospel, the word of God, the Bible, in a way that the culture can understand it. Create an environment that people who aren't used to church can come and find comfort and see people just like themselves. God wants to do that, and so I encourage you to be a part of that. Of course, for something like that to happen, for God to do something wonderful through us, means you've got to become regular, you've got to volunteer, you've got to get involved, you've got to say yes to what God wants to do in you. One thing to feel the emotions. That's what kids do around the house. They get up and say, wow, it's warm in here. Dad says, do you know how hard I worked so it would be warm in here? Kids eat that food and say, oh, man, I feel so good. Mom says, do you know how hard I worked to make that possible? You see, it's one thing to feel good. It's quite another thing to be a person who steps forward and helps make what's good come about. And God calls people to get involved together and to become something for him. All the fame will go to him, but he uses you and I to bring that about. It's the Sunday before Christmas. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you got to be a part of this. And I just believe my prayer has been, my spirit has felt it, is that God is going to touch you in some way. I know some of you come not believing. Some of you come questioning. Some of you look at some people and you say, ah, oh, they're just all brainwashed. Some of you, we're going to look at the Bible, will say, I don't believe the Bible. I hope you will listen today. I hope you will listen today. And you will let God touch you if he hasn't already done that. Today is the fourth Sunday in December. If you have your message map inside, there is a, a rather large section that talks about touch someone's life. It starts at the bottom of the center page and goes to the next page. You've got to read that later. Just listen to me. We're going to take an, uh, uh, we're going to receive a gift this morning. We don't even call it an offering. We call it a gift, a touch someone's life gift. What we're going to do, we're, we don't take offerings at Connection. If people want to give to Connection, then they just put their money in that box in the back, that container in the back. We don't take an offering. We did that. We, put, we decided we're just putting a box. People want to give, they'll just go to the box and give. We're not passing the plate and all that. Maybe someday we'll change our minds. I don't know why we would, but we'll just do it that way. But we decided last February that we were going to pass popcorn bags, okay, just sacks through the crowd once a month. And we want people, if they want to, to put money in those bags. We're looking for nickels, dimes, if you want to put dollars, if you want to put checks or whatever, okay? But we're going to then take those bags. Our lead team members will take those out, count the money. They will bring those bags back in. And they, if it's over $200, they'll put it in two bags. If it's under $200, they'll put it in one bag. If it's one bag, I'm going to give it to one of you. One of you. If it's two bags, I'm going to give it to two of you. The purpose is it's not for you. The purpose is that you will take it this week as soon as you can. Don't wait. You'll go out and you'll give that to someone. You'll pass someone and God will use you to bless them. I'll give you a half sheet of instructions that helps you understand. We, I've learned some things from people who have done this and what they've asked, and so I've made up a half sheet that will help you. 
But we're going to let people know that God cares, and that's all it's about. And, and so we're going to do that. So I'd like the lead team members to get in place. And before you pass the bags, let me say this. If you're here this morning, okay, and I don't know what's going on in your life, and that bag comes past you and you need $10, $20, $5, whatever it is, if you don't have food, if you don't have the, the rest of that rent payment and you can see it quickly in that bag, you feel free to reach in there and take that out. We're trusting God. When our lead team talked about this, we said we're not going to try to control this. Look, when we talked about this, we threw up all the reasons this could be foolish. We talked about people who could take advantage. We talked about somebody who could steal. And we said, you know what? We're always trying to control, and we just don't let go and let God. And that's what we're doing. And you can see in that message map, you got that handout, two stories of the people last month because two people gave away a bag of money, 180-some dollars each, gave away, just walked up to strangers. Read their story later. Don't read it now. We're just letting God do it. But I want you to know some people may be sitting right here who needs 10 more dollars, 20 more dollars to pay that whatever it is. And I give you permission to reach in there. And if somebody says something to you, I give you permission to make a fist and sock them. Okay? No, don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. Okay? But, uh, but really, and I know that would be difficult, we're just trying to let go and let God. Connection's trying to tap those kinds of experiences. So when that bag comes by, if you want to give something, you do. If not, pass it on. If, if, this is, if you're new to Connection, if this is your first Sunday or you've just been coming a few weeks, I ask you not even to put anything in there, okay? Don't even feel obligated. That's not to get money from you. Don't feel obligated. You just pass it on and watch the people of connection, okay? If you write a check, and you can, government says if you write a check, we've got to keep a record of that for you, okay? If you write a check, the check will be kept for the next month because we're going to give that money out today, and we're going to give cash out today. And that'll be cash by our treasurer next month, put in the bag, and pass whenever we pass the bag. If you can, write a check if you want to. Okay, so if you guys would just start passing those bags and we're going to go on and get started. Okay, if you have if you have your handout you were given, I call it a message map because the only reason I do it, I wouldn't do it if it didn't have notes for the sermons. Okay, because we put out something on email and we can publicize ourselves there. But uh, on the one of the inside pages or one of the pages, there's a place for filling in blanks. If you want to do that, you can. Why do I do that? Because I want you to look at this this week. I want you to look at the scripture reference. I want you to look at these statements. I want you to read the scripture, and I want God to revisit you. He will. His spirit will revisit you and remind you of today's sermon, okay? He'll remind you of today's sermon, and I want that to be longer than just this quick time. Most of you, within an hour to two hours after we're done, will forget a lot of the things I've said. That's just, I just know that's true. Now, if you come regular you begin to build and you begin to remember some of those things, okay? This is the Christmas season. If you were here for the first video, I'm sorry. We'll be glad someday we're going to have our own facility. We're going to make it dark. Listen, we're going to have lights. We're going to make this more of a concert venue. Some of you older folks say, oh, ye gods. Oh, I don't want that. Listen, connection's moving to the way our culture is. You'll be here. You'll see by the end of this sermon, we just lifted up Jesus Christ and God. But we would do that, and it'd be dark, and, and I know some of you may have trouble seeing. The sun's out great today. We should have prayed. God, don't have it to be sunny. Have it to be overcast and snowy, okay? But, uh, but that just bothered. But in there, you saw the story of men wiping themselves out. 
okay? And from the voice of the animals trying to rebuild the waste. And that scripture, when they read in that big book, ye shall rebuild the waste, that is from Isaiah. That's what God told his people. You see, God realized this with his people. His people always destroy. Two Christians will marry, and they'll destroy that marriage. Christian mom, a Christian dad will have kids, and dad will abandon the kids. They'll, they'll mistreat those kids. See, they'll always bring waste. Churches grow up, and what do churches do? They fight. They infight. And they tell people, if you're not like me, we don't want you here. We create all kinds of destruction. From the prophet Isaiah, God told his people back then, and he tells us even today, you know, you've got to take the waste that occurs and rebuild. You know what some people do? Because they don't like waste, they say, I'm never going to get married. Because my parents couldn't make it, my grandparents couldn't make it. Some people say, I'm never going to have kids. Some people say, I'm never going to go to church because I've seen the waste in church. And you know what God says in Isaiah? Rebuild the waste. Rebuild the waste because God wants to bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's a, that, that sounds good, doesn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And you know how hard that is, how difficult that is. Listen to me. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he came for a purpose. And Satan wants to tell us he didn't really come. And Satan wants to tell us we don't even understand if he did come. And how do we know it's not all a myth and a lie? He came for a purpose. When Jesus came, listen, it seemed like this world was more dark than bright. It seemed like evil triumphed. Some of you have heard me. I've told you, even when little children were born, if people didn't want to keep those children, if families didn't want it, and usually it was the man that made the decision, we know from historical records at that time, they'd take those children and set them at a place in the city. We don't want you. We're going to abandon you. And usually from history, we're told, those people who would, who would peddle flesh would take those children and raise them, to peddle them and make their wealth off of the flesh of those children. It was a time of darkness. It was a time when evil seemed to triumph. It was a time when, when God was presented. Listen to me. God was presented as a God who just wants to get you. If you're bad, he's going to get you. That's how, that's how people were talking about God. People in the churches of that time were the synagogues and the temples. They were talking about Jehovah God as a God that just wants to get you. Life seemed hindered by the circumstances, the economy. We think our economy was bad. Just study history. Economies have always tanked out. The economy was bad. People would wait in line. When Jesus came, people would wait in line. Men would wait in line on the town squares, waiting for somebody to come and say, I need five men. And they'd come, and those men would work for one day. And at the end of the day, they'd be given what was called a denarii, a Roman coin. And that could buy them. Listen, that would not buy them a trip to Disney World. That would not buy Christmas gifts. That would buy food for one day. And they'd go back to the square the next day. And they'd wait, hoping somebody would say, I need one man, a hundred men. And they'd hope they'd get chosen so they could make a denarii for one day. It was a time when circumstances seemed to not work out well for human beings. Where is God in all this? I'll tell you where God is. If you're not good, he's going to get you. That's what the church was saying. And so Jesus came. 
Jesus came because God wanted to say to the world 2,000 years ago and to the world today. He wanted to say peace is possible in your life in this time of darkness and difficulty. And some of you, you don't see much darkness and difficulty today. Well, you got the promotion. You got the job. You just, somebody just said, you're the best looking person in the world. Can I marry you? See, you're all excited. For some of you, you've lost your job. For some of you, somebody's been disloyal to you and said, I would never want to be around you. I want nothing to do with you. For some of you, it seems like it's never getting better. And Jesus came because God wanted to say through Jesus, peace is possible in your life. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at the Christmas story. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke, the second chapter. If you have those New Testaments, open it to page 49, okay? If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the words in just a little bit on the screen, okay? And the Bible that I'm reading from is the New International Version. I'm sorry, no, it's not. I've done that one for so long. It's the New Living Translation. It's a translation. It's not a paraphrase. I heard... I heard a religious group on TV that always thinks they're right. If I told you their names, and I'm not to put people down, but they are always right, and everybody else is wrong. And if the churches don't do it like they do, they will say on TV, those churches aren't honoring God, saying the New Living Translation is a paraphrase. The Living Bible is a paraphrase. The New Living is a translation. They looked at the Hebrew and the Greek, and they wrote from back then. I mean, from those meanings, Okay. But I read it because it's easier for people who aren't used to reading the Bible to follow. You'll see that. doesn't use words and phrases that, that we don't identify. I grew up, used the King James. That's the only Bible you would have carried in my church. I moved then in time to the new King James. Then I moved to the new international version. And I've moved now to the new living because I know this. A lot of people, matter of fact, probably most people who go to church today do not carry scriptures with them and so i want them to be able to follow along without saying what in the world that word that phrase mean so we're going to look there luke 2 now let me say this i want to stop because man i'm back here just worshiping and i was worshiping down there wasn't connection band outstanding this morning i tell you that's right i tell you i just i just love it whatever if it's the guitars or the or the keyboard wang wang see i can't even do it Man, how in the world? I'm telling you, if you play an instrument, why don't you give it a try? See? Why don't you give it a try? It sounds so good. I, I'm envious. I'm envious. I'm thinking when well, I'm behind the curtains, you know what I would like? I would like the keyboard and the guitars to stay up here, and while I'm preaching, they got to play background music. And they got to be sensitive to, to whenever it gets exciting. Dee, 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 when it gets sort of sad. Dum, ba, dum, ba, dum. I, see, I'm not good at that. But I was so excited. Matt Griswold, thank you for giving us this commitment. You realize that guy goes out and works 40 hours a week in another job, and then he comes here? You realize these people work their jobs, and they come here? And they're just an extension of many who have created this environment. I am so, so very thankful for that, okay? And this last Sunday before Christmas, we got another Sunday, we got the 30th of this year, but this last Sunday before Christmas, I just want to take time 
have prayer with you and thank God. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for being our God. Thank you for today being a God that's seeking to communicate with us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be in relationship with Him. God, thank you for the peace you offer in the midst of difficulty. Father, thank you that we are here, that we have seats to sit on. Father, thank you for this environment. Father, thank you for those people who, who made sure the heat was ready this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for people who helped prepare this environment. God, thank you for good songs. Thank you for the people who, who have much greater talent than I, who pen those words of those songs. Man, God, thank you so much. And thank you for family and friends. Thank you for the warmth that I know when people would introduce me to folks they brought with them, the warmth I could feel. They were so proud to have people they care about with them. Thank you for Joe being back. Father, thank you just for letting us see people who, who have meant things to us in the past. And Father, thank you now for this day and for Luke and for his investigation and for what he's written for us to understand. And God, illuminate our minds. You use my words. Okay, God, but have your spirit illuminate the mind with the thoughts that you want. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 2. Now, this is the Christmas story. Somebody asked me, somebody saw this and said, are you going backwards? Okay, because we ought to be in Luke 10. Matter of fact, the next sermon is Luke 10, verses 1 through 24, okay? And then I thought, this is Christmas, so I'm going to do Christmas. And then next week, now I'm thinking, I'm just going to come up here. I prepared a sermon, and it deals with how Satan tries to convince a Christian, you're not very good, you shouldn't go to heaven, Okay. But I thought I might get up here, and I'm still not sure. I might just get up here and say first, I got, I'll bring a sermon, I'll prepare it, because I prepared it this week, so I'm ready. But I might just say, if you've got any questions. We did this once before. People had some questions. You know, you've got questions about life and God and, and Jesus and religion. And you don't often get to ask those. I don't know if I'm going to do that. And then we're going to kick in back in Luke 10 in January the 1st. But really, I should have said to that person, yep, somebody said... Man, I missed some of those early sermons. Some other people said, I didn't understand everything you said, and so we're going to redo the sermons all again. No. Luke 2, though, it's a Christmas story. That's why I'm using Luke 2. Let me say this. When we covered Luke 2, I talked a little bit more about the story. I'll talk a little bit now. You can't look at the Scriptures without saying some of the same things. But I talked about nobody knows the exact date of Christmas. They don't know the exact month Jesus was born. They do not know the date. They do not know even the year, okay? I just want you to understand that. And the reason I say that, some of you older folks, you say, why do you say that? We know Christmas is December 25th. That's when Jesus was born, year zero. And I'm telling you, intellectually, that's not true. I don't want to take time. I did when we went through Luke 2. I spoke to that. I'm just speaking this because there's some of you young folks and some of you middle-aged folks, you've read on the Internet or you heard somebody, those Christians even get it wrong with Christmas Day. Nobody knows the exact date that jesus was born nor the exact year i think listen if that was important if god felt it was important he'd write it in his word okay he would tell us in his word the important thing is is that he came and you're going to see the important thing is those things that surrounded his coming okay christians have just begun 
began serving or honoring December 25th in the third century. The early church didn't. The early church didn't recognize the birth of Jesus on December 25th. That's historical evidence. Listen, you old folks, you got to say that because young folks say, you don't have it right. You're all wrong. And so they won't listen to the other stuff you have to say that are much more important than when Jesus is born, okay? And so we don't know the exact date. If you have your message map, look at the first blank. I want to call attention to that. Here's why the coming of Jesus is important. In my words, the coming of Jesus into the world is God saying, I offer you a relationship of peace, and we all need it. It's tough in our marriages, it's tough in our families, it's tough where we work, it's tough in our neighborhood, it's tough living life, and we need peace. And God says, listen, with Jesus coming into the world, God is saying, I offer you a relationship of peace. So let's look at verse 1. Open your Bibles to verse 1, look there or look on the screen. It says, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus, let me just stop. I spent a little bit more time and I talked about this. I just want to say this, Augustus is a real historical person. This isn't a made-up story. You see, Luke is writing truth, and Luke is giving identity so we can look and we can get an idea of when Jesus came. Augusta was the real Caesar at that time, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Then, verse 2 says, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, I'm just going to say that. That's another historical person. Nobody in history will tell you Quirinius didn't exist. And Luke is trying to tell us it's during that time. And history tells us Quirinius took a census. Okay, why take a census? Because you see the Roman government, okay? Now, I wasn't going to talk about this because I talked more about it with, whenever I went through this. But the Roman government wanted to know how many people there were. Why? So they could know who could they, they could tax. That's what government does, okay? And they wanted to know how many men there were. Why? So they could, if they needed men for the military, they knew how many men were in each of those towns or came from each of those towns. So they called them in up for military. Now, verse 3 says, All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. So when it was time for this census in the Roman Empire, everybody had to go to where the town where their clan came from. Okay? Now, look, I grew up in Decatur, Illinois. But my dad's family, he grew up in Potoka, you know, not too far from here. He grew up in Potoka, Illinois. And, and so... I didn't come from there, but if it was that time, I'd have to go back to Potoka because that's where my dad came from, see? Matter of fact, I went back to Potoka a few years ago, and I visited with some of the folks, and there were folks there who remembered my grandfather's, my dad's dad. I never met that man, okay? They were dead before I was born. Remember, I told you I'm the youngest of 14. I only had one grandparent alive. She was in her 80s whenever I was a kid that could remember anything. But my dad's dad, they could remember my dad's dad's general store there in Patoka, and that was sort of interesting. Well, Joseph has got to go back to Bethlehem, okay? Now, it goes on in verse 4. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem. Let me tell you, Bethlehem's a little place. If you study history, or you can ask it on the Internet, Bethlehem would have had maybe 100 people there, 150 people. Small city, not a metropolis, okay? In Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. So get the picture. Galilee, if this is the land of Israel, this is north, this is south. Galilee is up there by the Sea of Galilee, okay? Nazareth's up there. Bethlehem's down here, but below the, sea, the Dead Sea, in a sense, and to the west, below Jerusalem, about 100 miles Joseph and Mary went. And I'm going to tell you, okay, 
Everybody has the picture of Mary on a donkey. Probably wasn't true. The Bible never says that. He probably put her, I mean, Joseph was a carpenter. Do you think a man that could build out of wood wouldn't build? He probably had the Mercedes bin of carts. Are you following with me? Okay, I'm not trying to prove anything. Just don't have enough time to talk about that. But anyway, because young folks try, that's stupid. Go down. They would have been in a cart, okay? A pregnant woman couldn't roll on a donkey that far. I'm telling you, there's nothing in the Bible that says donkeys. That's what you and I put around our, our scenes with a nativity, okay? And don't, don't, don't everybody go home and cut the heads off your donkey, okay? Go home and buy a cart, okay? Okay. Now, now, let me say this, though. He's going there for a census. This is important to understand. See, man dictates the circumstances. Man says, Joseph, you got to go to Bethlehem. Joseph takes Mary with him. He goes to Bethlehem, okay? Man dictates that because he wants to make taxes and he wants to find out who can fight in the military. I just want you to understand. God orchestrates that because God is going to send his son, the Messiah, to Bethlehem to be born. Look on the screen. I want you to see that verse, the next verse. Micah 5.2. Don't have time for you to turn to it. God's promise, 750 years before Jesus. Look what God said, 750 years before Jesus, before Quirinius, uh, before Augustus Caesar. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, are only a small village. Remember, I told you about 100 people among all the people of Judah. And yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. In the Hebrew, that phrase, those three words, the distant past, means eternity. In other words, in Bethlehem is going to be born the one who has been in existence for all eternity. God, in the second person of the Son, who we call Jesus Christ, is going to be born in Bethlehem. He said 750 years before it happened. Why? Because people, if they would just read what God said before, they would get some understanding and how to what's going to happen right now in their lives, okay? See, God orchestrated this. He had it planned. Man thinks they're in charge. God is in charge, okay? Look at the next blank in your, on your message map, the next blank. I wrote the ruler of God's people is coming, okay? Uh, he calls him the ruler of Israel. Israel is always the name for God's people. Old Testament, Paul refers to, he says, not all Jews are Israel, See, now, that blows somebody's mind because some Christians are so concerned with that. He says, not all Jews are Israel. Israel are the people who follow Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so I got the ruler of God's people is coming. How will we know who he is? Look what he says. How will we know? The fulfillment or the answer, he will be, he will be born in Bethlehem. Who is the Messiah? A baby born in Bethlehem. See, that's what's important about this. Now, let me stop. Some of you are saying, ah, oh, how do we know it really happened? In chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I see some of you are, I can see the wheels turn your mind. In chapter 1, 3 and 4, Luke said, he writing to a guy named Theophilus, okay? Listen, if you can't think of a name for your next son, good name, Theophilus, yeah? He's writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he says in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, I have carefully investigated these things. 
In other words, Luke was a doctor, he's a physician, and he's going back to the area. He didn't live with Jesus, he's going back and he's talking to people. And so what he has to be doing is discovering this information and he's writing it to Theophilus. God has led him to do this, eh? Through, through Theophilus. And, and it's believed Theophilus probably was financing the venture because Theophilus wanted to know. He said, I heard, I believe in Jesus, but how do I know all this is true, these details I've heard? Tell you what, Luke, you're, you're an intelligent person of science. You got a brain on you, man. I'll pay the money. You go find out for me. Okay? And so he's checking this out. And what he is going to communicate that all of his life, if you, if you stay with us through the study of Luke, throughout Jesus' life, all he did was communicate the love of God that was to help us because we live in a world full of conflict. Look at the next blank on your message map. Fill it in. Jesus Christ came look, to free us from the feeling that you are all by yourself. In a world of conflict, that's what happens. Matter of fact, teenagers grow up and know mom and dad likes, loves them, or mom or dad, whoever's there in the home, loves them. The teenager begins feeling lonely. i got to go find somebody. And what you do, you'll sell yourself to get companion trickship. Or as I've said, some of you ladies know, you turn tricks just so you got a man. See? And we live in a world, you work hard, but as hard as you work, employers aren't loyal like they used to many times, and you feel all alone, even though you may be working with a hundred or a thousand other workers. You go and you put that thing together, you work on that assembly line, you do that deed, and you feel all alone. Jesus came to free you from the feeling that you're all alone so that when you go to work, you can sing the song of God. You can have those feelings from God because God created us with feelings. You've got to get it in your mind if it's going to get into your feelings. Let's look at verse 5, Luke chapter 2, verse 5. Look on the screen, yeah. He took with him Mary, his fiancée. Let me just say, the word in the Hebrew is betrothed. It meant they made a commitment to each other, sort of like we call engagement, but our engagement isn't as serious. If you're betrothed, you are husband and wife. The only thing is, according to Jewish law, you cannot consummate the marriage, okay, by a sexual act. You can't be broken apart without a writing of a divorcement. You have to go through getting a divorce, but you can't have sex yet. You have to go through the official ceremony to be able to consummate to be really husband and wife. If I had time, I could tell you more about that, but I don't have time, okay? But he takes her with him. Now look, it says, who was now obviously pregnant. In other words, she got, she's got the womb growing, okay? Okay, she's obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Verse 7, she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them, okay? Now the city would be crowded. Understand, now please, I'm taking time to try and to tell you this, because I'd really get to the end of my sermon, but you got to see how this flows. And I know there's some of you, you've never looked at Scripture this way. You see, they go to Bethlehem. This is the census. Other people are coming to Bethlehem. They can't find a place to stay. They can't find a roof to put over their heads. And so what happens is they go to a stable. And it wouldn't have been a stable like your nativity scene. It probably would have been a cave. We know back then they didn't usually build those kinds of uh, structures they would try to find a earthly structure and that's where they put the animals okay so most likely if it's a city 
it's, there's a cave nearby, and that's where Mary and Joseph went. And when she has the baby, now listen, <laughs> there's no bass in that. So what do you do? You got a baby, you can hold it all the time, or you would do what any of us would do. They put that baby in the animal feeding trough. They put it in a manger. That's what a manger was. See, it all makes sense. See? Now, how is Luke finding all this out? You know what he's got to do? Because Joseph's dead when Luke's writing this. He has to go talk to Mary. See? He has to go talk to these people. He's got to find out. He's got to go back to Bethlehem and visit. And you and I say, that's ridiculous. Come on. People write history today. They do that very thing. Why do we say now, I can't trust the Word of God? I can't trust the Bible. Why, why do you shut off your intellect when it comes to something of the Scriptures when you won't when it comes to something of the world? And there's less evidence of many historical things in the world than there are ancient historical things than there are concerning Jesus Christ. Because you see, Satan has told you, and he's raised parents up who have told you. He's raised friends up who have told you. And he's got this Internet that tells you, you can't believe any of that stuff. That's all faith. But if you study it, it's historical doctrine. Faith is, is Jesus Christ. Does his death make a difference in the life? See, but Jesus is very real. Jesus is born. I want you to understand, God does not become a human. I mean, man does not become a God when Jesus is born. God becomes a human, see? Matthew tells us that. Look on the screen. Look at Matthew, the first chapter. Okay, this is 27 to 32 years after Jesus, okay? Luke was written 29 years after Jesus, okay? Matthew wrote this. All of this occurred. He talks about what Luke has talked about here. Just don't have time to go read all Matthew. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Luke calls attention to the virgin. Matthew calls attention to the virgin. And it all happened that time in Bethlehem, see? It all happened back then when, when humans walked the earth and they didn't understand it. Angels had to tell them what was happening. Angel had to talk to Mary. Angel had to talk to Joseph because Joseph said, i got a pregnant woman on my hands and I don't want to stay married to her. Angel talked to him. He says, yeah, I'll stay married. Shepherds are in the fields. They don't know anything about the Messiah. Angels appear and tell them, go to Bethlehem. You can see the one, okay? What is happening is, is God is coming to earth and he's taking on eyebrows and lungs and a liver. And he's coming like you and I. You know why? Because if we're not careful, we make religion, we make religion so unhuman that humans can't believe it. That's why I'm always telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not a matter you're going to heaven. That's a byproduct of your faith. It's a matter that you live and love like Jesus. If it was all about going to heaven and God's in charge, he'd take you right away. It's all about a change that comes into your life that people can see so they can see God in humanity. That's why Jesus came. In a world that was saying, God's going to get you if you're bad, Jesus came and he hung out with bad people and the religious people who went to church, they killed him because, you see, they wouldn't hang out with people like that. They wouldn't say, tattoos have no bearings on your eternal experience because you were born 
as we used to say, illegitimate without a married mom and dad, you're no good. Man, I remember when I was a kid growing up in church. No girl would want to be known to have a child out of wedlock. Listen, that has nothing to do with your relationship with God. And Jesus came in human form to help people who truly want to know a relationship with God and peace, that they don't have to feel alone, and they can have that relationship. And he said, Luke said, Matthew was telling us, a baby born to a virgin. Look on the screen. Look, look Isaiah 7.14, written 700 years Micah 750 years before Jesus came said it's going to happen in Bethlehem. Isaiah writes 700 years. Nobody will discount that Isaiah wrote this 700 years ago. Nobody will discount Micah wrote what he wrote 750. Nobody who studies history discounts this. This is what Isaiah wrote. All right then. He says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In other words, Isaiah says, the Messiah, the one sent from God, the one from ancient, as, as Matthew said, is going to be born to a virgin. Man, that is impossible. With God, all things are possible. That's what he said. Look at your next blank on your message map. I wrote there, how will we know, how will we know who Emmanuel is? The fulfillment, the answer is you were born to a virgin mother in Bethlehem. So if you want to find out, based on historical records, who the Messiah is, you got to first find a kid born in Bethlehem. Are you following with me? To a virgin. Kid born in Bethlehem to a virgin. Listen, some people tell you don't believe in Jesus because there's other people that claim the same things Jesus claimed, and they tell you to believe in a, a guy who claims that, who, who his history says he's born from an almond seed that was set on his mama's belly. Now, you see how ridiculous that is? No God involved. It's just what that seed does. And he became like Jesus. Jesus we were told about Jesus 700 years before. Bethlehem, virgin. Bethlehem, virgin. Now let me say something real quick. Luke is a medical doctor. That's what you got to understand. Somebody's saying, but I still have trouble believing it. Sure, you're 2,000 years removed. Luke is a medical doctor. He knows how babies are born. He's a man of science. So why would he write this to Theophilus? Because, you see, he goes and he talks. As I said, Joseph would have been dead. Mary wouldn't have been dead. He talks to Mary. He finds out about the angels. He's going to tell us a little bit about shepherds. How does he know that happened with shepherds? Mary would only know the shepherds came and told her, but the shepherds, he talked to one of those shepherds. He talked to the son of one of those shepherds. He'd do what anybody who's writing history would do. He'd get the details as accurate as he can. You know why? You and I are 2,000 years removed. We can't prove the details. But they were right there just three decades removed. They could have went. They could have disproved everything he said. Just talking to the people who were living. See, Luke is finding out the truth. We should have no trouble believing that if God is the creator of all there is, he can make a woman pregnant without using a man. And that's what we were told 700 years before he would do. 
Look at, look at the 8th verse. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory showed, uh, surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angels reassured them, don't be afraid. I was going to pass this up, but I can't. Whenever we did chapter 2, I spent some time on this. I'm going to tell you, the angels are always telling people that they appeared, don't be afraid. If you and I saw an angel, I'd probably faint. Scare me half to death. Okay? But I'm telling you, they always came from God to people to say, don't be afraid. You see, you need to hear that. Some of you are worrying about tomorrow and the next day. I'm telling you, an angel stands before you and tells you, don't be afraid. A few of you heard that. I'm not an angel. Okay? But God had his angels comes to the shepherd when they appear. It scares them. Say, Don't be afraid. God is always seeking to bring peace into our lives. I'm telling you, if you go to a church or you get involved in a religion that causes you not to know God's peace, you probably ought to stop going to that church and being involved in that religion. I didn't tell you you won't face conflict in life. But God will bring you peace in the midst of conflict. Look, verse 10 goes on. He said, I bring you good news, okay? Good news, what? that you can have peace, you don't have to feel all alone, that will bring great joy to all people. All people, that's you and you and me. If you watched, if you watched that video closely in the mall, whoever's run the camera tried to show you the diversity of the races that were there. If we went to the book of Revelation, the Revelation says when, when John got the glimpse of heaven that, that Jesus gave him, he saw all tribes, all nations, I mean it for all people, don't you believe, you Caucasian American, that you're the only one that's going to have a relationship with God. That's why you've got to be careful the way you treat a person of a different race. Because if they know Jesus, they're your brother and sister in the Lord. Okay? For all people, he says. Look at the angel's message to the shepherds. Verse 11. The great joy is that the Savior... Savior means the one who comes to rescue us. We all need a Savior. You know, you're looking for a Savior. Some of you think the Savior is getting a promotion, getting a pay. Some of you think the Savior is a job. Some of you think the Savior is getting somebody to marry you. Some of you think the Savior is a baby. Some of you think the Savior is that nice car. Some of you think the Savior is keeping your body slim like mine. See, all of... It's not slim. See, we, we are looking for a slave Savior. Whatever is causing you pain, you're looking for a Savior. If your job is hard for you, you want a job that will save you that's easier. And so he tells, the angel says, the Savior, the one who can rescue you. And he goes on, he says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah. Messiah means the one sent from God. In other words, you guys, they're, they're Jewish shepherds. You've been hearing God's going to come and help you. He's going to send the Messiah. I'm telling you, the Savior, the one who can rescue you, the one who's sent from God. That's what the angels tell him. And he calls him, he says, the Lord. Savior, Messiah, Lord. That's why you go to church. Sometimes you hear people calling Jesus Savior. You hear him calling Messiah. You hear him calling Lord. See, that's what the angels first called him. Lord means the one who will be in charge. That's what the Lord means. Now, be honest. Is the Lord in charge when it comes to you and your kids? Is the Lord in charge when it comes to you and your hobby? Is the Lord in charge when it comes to you and your money? Is the Lord in charge when it comes to you and your time? Next Sunday morning, you must tell the Lord who's in charge. See, the angels are saying, we want to tell you, the Savior, the one you need to rescue you, 
the Messiah, the one you know God was planning to send. You heard God's going to send into the world. The Lord, the one who is to be in charge. Now look, he goes on. Has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. How will they know who the Savior is? Go to Bethlehem. I don't have time. I wish, whenever I talked about this, I talked about, do you think they went? I don't even have time for that. We know they did. But how many people would say, I just don't believe that stuff. How many of you are not going to go to church next Sunday? Just don't raise your hand. I just don't believe that stuff. I just came today because family invited me. Did they go? Well, I can't spend time on that. How are they going to know they go to Bethlehem? Okay, but look what it says. And you will recognize him by this sign. Here it is. We've already learned from Micah. It's going to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. We learned from Isaiah that he's going to be born to a virgin. Look what the angel says. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. He doesn't have a nice blanket. He's not born to the house of people who have wealth who can make blankets ahead of time. Today, our grandmothers knit the blankets ahead of time or we go and buy the blankets or we have a shower and we let everybody give us the blankets. They went to Bethlehem and when this baby's born, she just puts strips of cloth together to keep him warm. That's all. Strips of cloth. And where is he going to be? Is he going to be lying in a bassinet? Listen, if you are God and your sons are going to be born, why have him in the city, a hundred people? Why not just, just basically, just a few miles away is the metropolis, Jerusalem, 50,000 to 100,000 people. That's where the temple is. Why wouldn't you have him born there? Because you see, God's trying to help us understand some things that he's in charge, and this is the way he does. And I'm going to tell you the most important thing, and I really spent some time when I went through chapter 2, is because God wants us to understand Jesus is just not for those who can keep it all together, who seems to have the money, who seems to have the nice vehicle, who seems to be able to eat the fat turkey, who seems to be able to buy the nice clothes, who seems to be able to, to live in the nice houses. Jesus is for all of us, and especially for the people the world will kick and say, you, you're not very important. Anybody tell you you're not important because you don't have education, you don't have a job, you don't have what they might call a nice house, or you don't drive a nice car, or you don't look nice, you come over to my house. I mean, you make a friend of Mike Davis, and I'll introduce you to a few people who will be your friend. Some of you don't even know to make friends with people who don't look like you, don't act like you. He came to that low city because Jesus is for all people. Those have, who seem to cut it together and those who don't seem to cut it together. And 13 says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast of hosts of, of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Angels don't lie. They tell the truth. And they make this statement that, listen, I'm going to tell you, people of the world do not like. They do not like this statement. Look at the statement they make. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. They say, you, you're saying you can only have peace if you please God. And people who of the world that don't want to honor Jehovah God did not want that statement. But that's what the angels say. You know why they don't want that statement? Because they're saying, come on, we can have peace without God. That's why I showed that first video. We can't. Even people who call Jesus Christ Lord, if they get away from his lordship, they have an absence of peace. Peace is only possible. How? What does it say? By doing what? Pleasing God. That's right. Now, let me see if I can illustrate that. My time's getting short, but let me see if I can illustrate that. Okay? 
imagine, I'm, this is just an illustration. You've got to be careful trying to compare God with humans, okay? But imagine comparing God with parents who are raising their children in a tough neighborhood, okay? And they tell their children, they say, now, you've got to do the things we say. And the children just grow up saying, all you want is that we please you. All you want is that we please you. And here's what parents tell their children. You've got to go to school. You've got to, you've got to study. You can't turn on that TV if I don't see the lessons done, you can't do it. And if the teacher grades the lesson below a C, the TV's not going to be turned on the next time. All it is is pleasing you. You've got to eat your vegetables. You've got to eat your food. You've you, you got to learn to drive responsibly. You can't watch certain things. Why can't I watch what I want? It's always pleasing you. Am I making this up? Is that what kids do toward parents at least make you feel that way? Some of you kids... You sort of felt that way toward your parents? How can I tell you this? Because I felt that way toward my dad and mom. They were older adults when I'm a teenager. All dad wanted me to do was to please him. Make everybody think well of him. So the parents tell their children, now, there's things you shouldn't do. There's things you shouldn't see. There's things you shouldn't say. And the kid sees it in the wrong light. The kid says, all you want me to do is please you. But why does the parent do that? You see, because the parents know there are other parents in that very same community. They don't tell their kids to do their homework. They don't tell their kids to drive responsibly. They don't tell their kids, you shouldn't see this, you shouldn't do that. They don't care. They don't care. But you see, the parents who do, the kids see it as we got to please you. But the parents know this, if a kid will catch hold of that lifestyle, the kid will be able to find peace in a world full of conflict that's always wanting to kick him or her down. Are you following with me? And the kid who doesn't understand that. You see, some of you going to school now and going to college, and you want it to stop. It will. If you keep that in relationship with God, you please Him. He will help you find peace through those accomplishments. But other people who say, I'm not going to do it. They can't find peace in a world full of conflict. See, that's what the angels is trying to communicate. And that's what you, and I got to see, God is not egotistical. God is not a God whose emotions have to be placated by you. That's what the world will tell you about God. We sang, Matt led us in singing. I, I, I wrote it down. He is jealous for you and me. Somebody says, oh, that means God's full of envy. No, he's jealous that you can find the peace that he has. Why does he say obey me? Why does he say do what I say? Why does he say be sure you hang out with my people? Why does he say read my word? Why does he say forgive? Why does he say don't hold on to ill feelings? Because God knows you, do those, you don't do those things. You can't find peace. And he's jealous for you. You're his kid. He created you. He loves you. That's what the angels are saying to the shepherd. And peace to those who will please God. And the world tells us it's a controlling God. And God says, no, I'm just like a good parent who can see further than the child that's little. You got to go to bed. Because if a child doesn't learn to get their rest, the child has trouble functioning in daylight hours. There are some young adults who have trouble functioning in daylight hours because mom and dad didn't tell the child to go to bed at the right time. The child says, always pleasing you. 
Mom and dad can see further than an immature child. And God can see further. He wants us to experience the peace and the love. Matt made a statement in that last song. He says, God loves you so much. He does. Matter of fact, God said, I am a jealous God. That doesn't mean he's envious. That means you are special to him, man. You are. Don't let anybody take it off. You are. You are. Look at the last blank on your message map. The Bible says the only way we can come into an experience of peace, the only way we can come into an experience of peace on earth through Jesus is through Jesus Christ. For that pleases God. Now let me see if I can just give you one illustration, one illustration, now I want you to listen to a song, one illustration that communicates this peace in a person who circumstances has just tore up. This illustration comes from the chaplain of the fire department in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. It's a real-life illustration. The man's name is Danny Lynchard, okay? So he's a fireman who acts as a chaplain. He's not a minister who acts as a chaplain, okay? Here's what he wrote. Let me read to you. As a fire department's chaplain, I was called to a home in West Tulsa, Oklahoma. The cramped one-bedroom apartment was dimly lit. A young woman sat at one end of the sofa, her shoulders convulsing as she sobbed her grief into tissues. Now she slumped on her sofa, feeling she had lost everything in the world that gave her life meaning. Her baby had died of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. He was only three weeks old. I had no words to say. I wanted to talk about faith and hope, but somehow nothing seemed to fit. I learned a long time ago to give up making excuses or trying to explain all the wisdom of God, particularly at a time like this. As I patted her shoulder, the medical examiner arrived to take the little, the little body away. Hysterically, she cried out, Please, don't take my baby. Please, don't take my baby. I placed my hand on her back and asked, Ma'am, would you like to hold your little baby one more time? I wrapped the cold, lifeless body in a blanket, blanket and gently handed him to her. I have never heard grief so loud or so deep as on that day. Listening to her tearful wails, I silently prayed, God, how can I help this woman find faith in all of this? Her tears continued to flow. Her cries pierced the air. There was no faith. God would just have to create some. And suddenly, as if someone had just had said just the right words, she became quiet and simply rocked her, ba her little baby. And then, the most amazing thing of all happened. She began to sing. To sing a familiar old song from her past long ago. And for the first time, I understood how powerful the words truly are. God had breathed his life into an old familiar tomb so that it ignited a memory in the heart of the grieving mother. Slowly, yet clearly, and without mistake, she sang. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. In a moment, through a tearful smile, he 
She handed the little baby back to me. The medical examiner took him away. He is with Jesus, she said. I simply replied, with your careful eyes. Yes, ma'am. I asked the mother if she would like this same Jesus who had just wrapped her son in his loving arms to come and live in her own heart. She nodded and answered yes. And as we prayed, I realized that in the same room where one earthly life had ended, a new one had begun. Listen, I know this world just beats on us and tells us don't believe, but I want you to know the love of Jesus is boundless. It goes on and on and on. It is patient and it is kind. And it never ends for those who will feel it. I want you to listen very intently to the words of this song that Zinni's going to sing and let it speak to you.